talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Philadelphia fans, boo. We do it better than anybody else, I'd like to think. And I wear it like a badge of honor. How can we judge a guy? How can we honestly assess his quarterback play when he's just given some of the most terrible weapons the NFL has ever seen? Here are your hosts. This is one of the more disappointing outcomes for a Philadelphia sports team in the last decade. And John Mita. But Ben Simmons, my God, learn how to shoot. Um, All right, you Mm -hmm. in a good spot? Ready to go? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Two and one. It is the Brotherly Love Podcast on Anchor.fm and all of your podcast platforms. It's a mobile edition again. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm, it's all, it's everything is rainbows and sunshine and everything right now in the city of Brotherly Love. Are you kidding me? It's that it's amazing. good. Well, yeah, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I mean, in the in the land of the Philadelphia 76ers, I would say yes. The other sports teams, not so much. But if, if we're talking Sixers, yes, man, it is. People are on cloud nine right now. I know I am. Well, I think the last podcast we did, they just pulled off the trade. Correct. Super, the Super Bowl was days away. Yep. Now that the all-star break of the NBA has come and gone, and James Harden has made his debut through two games or 2-0, and he's looked outstanding. Him and Joel Embiid have looked outstanding together. Is that why you're all uh, rainbows and sunshine? Like, what, walk, walk me through. Could, could, have, could the first two games, Yeah. could they have been any better? The only way games it could have been better is if I put thousands of dollars on both <laughs> of those games to win. The first one was an absolute joke. They were favored by one and a half points. I'm like, Minnesota's a decent basketball team, but I'm like, am I missing something? Then they throw up a 30 spot, and Minnesota was playing in a back-to-back game. They beat the Memphis Grizzlies the night before. They were playing a home-and-home. I mean, it's just, it seems seamless. It's incredible. Like, the guys, like, they're talking about, is he going to be in shape? And literally, I think the first game out, James Warren plays 36 minutes. And I've never seen a guy zip out of a fat suit, honest to God. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he was wearing a fake one in Houston when he won it out, and then he gets to Brooklyn and he put it back on. I don't know what happened, man. But the guy looks svelte. He looks like he's ready to go. And the one thing, I'll tell you, there, there was a couple things, right? So the trade happens, and then – you know, we get to finally hear what he has to say in the press conference. And I think the big take um, takeaway for me was, is that he always wanted to be here. This was his number one chance. And essentially, he really didn't want to go. Um, it was just kind of the deals. That was another destination he would accept. I think ultimately he was going to end up by hook or by crook, one way with the Philadelphia 76ers and his his great godfather, a.k.a. Daryl Morey. And I think he just wanted to be here and, and to play and have the – because this is the thing, right? He's taken a lot of flack and criticism. And, again, some, some of it might be rightfully so, right? 
He's in Houston. He's unhappy. He's kind of souring down the stretch. Well, at that point, Houston was literally in a rebuild. So he knew they were rebuilding. You know, he's coming into the twilights of his career. He wanted to go to a contender. You can't blame him there. How many other, how many other superstars have left for teams to just get that shot to play with a good enough team that give them the ability to pursue an NBA championship? And that's what he wanted to do. So then he gets out of there. Then he goes to Brooklyn, and what he did in Brooklyn was pretty remarkable. Now you're superstars. You're playing with Kevin Durant, who you know might be top three, top two NBA players in the game, and you're playing with Kyrie Irving. Well, nobody really likes Kyrie Irving. He's a bit of an odd and strange bird, no matter you know what he is. He's just a weird dude. And you also, with Kyrie, you've also seen some commitment issues. There were times even last year where you know he just took a week off, and I think Harden got a little frustrated with that. And then there was the whole vaccine status situation. He was only going to be a part-time player. That might also brought some animosity to the table, and, and rightfully so. But the thing is this. I think he just wanted to be in Philadelphia. So the greatest thing was he told the Nets, look, you can either, I could probably not want to play and be, you know, an unhappy camper here, or you could just trade me to Philadelphia. You could get something, decent assets in return, and I can go to Philadelphia and and end up where I really wanted to go from the start. So the good thing is, too, another takeaway for me, he seems motivated. He seems hungry. He's getting shape. He's talking about getting in better shape. People still think, and I think he's going to play with an absolute chip on his shoulder. And listen, there is no greater motivation in professional sports than when athletes play with chips on their shoulders. Yep. When athletes play with the philosophy of, oh, they don't think I'm good with. enough. Yeah. yeah, right. They don't think I'm a competitor. They don't think they think I'm a selfish ass teammate. They think I'm this. They think I'm that. I'll prove them wrong. And I think that's where he is right now. And to just be able, just his skill set. The, the fit for this team and what they needed and what they lacked when you know who just just quit on the team. I mean, I think we're ready to fly. And I think they have as good as opportunity as anybody to just make this a, an extremely wrong, exciting. The juices are flowing, man. Like I, the juices haven't flowed for this basketball team. They've had good teams when they acquired Jimmy Butler. We thought, ah, oh, that might be the other piece to get it done, but. You know, we came up short because I won't mention names. But, um, but, but no, I think the juices are flowing like 2001 Allen Iverson era, which was just the city captured the – that was the, the first time that I can remember when the Philadelphia Eagles took a backseat. To- yeah, it's a great point. Um, so. And the debut game against the Timberwolves, or the T-Wolves, whatever they go by now, the highest rated game in 20 years. Yeah, I mean, TV wise, I, I mean, mean, everybody de- was tuned in. I mean, debut, he almost gets a triple double. He yeah. finishes with like 27 points, like um, 12 rebounds, or like 10 rebounds and like eight assists. I think he was a couple short. Either he was either two rebound shorts or two assists short of a triple double. First game out, took 12 shots, seven yeah. to tell, and was just, and it looks like he's played with this team the entire year. That's how quick it was, which was just mind-blowing. I thought there'd be a little rust. I thought it'd be quick for him because he's such a dynamic, smart basketball player. My brother asked my brother Michael asked me, he goes, well, about harm, what does he do? I said, what is your mind? I said, man, he's like, one word to describe him. I'm like, the guy is crafty. He's like one of those YMCA players, you know? 
that's like so good, you know, doesn't wow you with athleticism or quickness or speed. Yeah. He just always makes, you know what I mean? And that's who he is. It's incredible. Well, I've heard the term savant being thrown around about James Harden. Yeah. He's such a smart player. Like you said, crafty. He gets the job done. He's got, you know, certain skills, obviously, but he's sort of well-rounded in like a weird way. You know, coming back on the court or running up the court on a fast break, like you said, he doesn't blow you away. He doesn't have Ben Simmons stride where he could take the ball from the three-point line to the hoop in one dribble. Like, But step-back threes, drawing contact, the pass, that give-and-go with Embiid where Embiid was hanging on the rim against the Knicks the other night. Like, huh? I mean, like you said, they haven't even played together yet, really. And, and the chemistry off the hop, at least again, who knows? Uh, we could we could be set up for failure here, but so far so good through a couple of games, and great to see. I'm happy for the fan base because I know, our, like you said, the, the Eagles right now. I mean, the combine's coming up, the draft eventually, but with the Major League Baseball work stoppage again, and the it's Flyers so ridiculous clearly playing well below well below expectations and having a rough season. You know, this is a Sixers town right now in Philly. We've seen it a few times. You mentioned 01. There's been buzz the last couple of years. Trust the process. But, man, this team plays into May, late May and June. And we've seen it. We know what's going to happen to Philadelphia. It's a basketball town in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just – and and then you look at his second game. He gets a triple-double. I mean, the guy is 16 assists. Yeah. Like, he's just – he's going to make so many other players better. Like, look what he's doing with a guy like Matisse Seibel. Now he's getting him easy buckets. And Matisse Seibel, you know, increases his three-point shooting percentage. They'd be absolutely lethal. And I think Tobias Harris, everyone's like, oh, my God, Toby Harris, what's he going to do? Listen, it's going to take other guys a little bit of time to get adjusted, wear the spots. But the one thing I've seen, and the way he's coaching up on the floor – I mean, he's another leader. He is the veteran voice, other than Embiid. Well, because he's such a good player, because he's such been an all-star his entire career and demands that type of respect, they're listening to him. I mean, you look at Maxi, a guy like Maxi. I mean, he's soaking up every minute. And and here's the, the one thing that you, you can't deny in any team sport, right? You could have as many stars on your team as you want, right? But if they don't have that bond, if they don't have that chemistry, who's to say that you can win? Yeah, and you need and, some wor- you need some worker bees too. You know what I mean? Like it, it, the, exactly, guys a, do the it, dirty work. Yeah. There's a saying that's probably not as uh, socially acceptable anymore, but yeah, let many, it rip, buddy, let it rip. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. You know? What yes, I mean? go ahead. I like that. I use you that need, all the time. You need those people, the role players. But yeah. the chemistry, too. Like, you can't just have your stars by themselves yeah. in a bubble right. um, with these clicks on your team. You got to have everybody dialed in. You got to have everybody wanting to, to go to battle for each other. And you got to have the guys that know their role, right? And if Tobias Harris becomes a 10 points, six rebounds, four mm-hmm. assists kind of guy in 32 minutes, like, that's what he is. Yeah. You know, and, the, and he has to accept that. And he's got to thrive in that role, given the opportunity. There's going to be some minutes where the offense might run through him because guys are out. 
Take advantage of it. Well, it, and I think that's where, you know, this is a lot of this is going to fall on Doc Rivers, right? Before he was all about like the hockey substitutions, which drove everyone in this town absolutely ape crap, just because you know five guys in, five guys out. Now I think he's going to make sure that a couple guys stay in with the second teamers. And again, another reason: if you take Tobias Harris out and then you put somebody else in, and then you bring him back in, so that he's now your second option again. So he feels like he has the comfortability to be like, okay. It's my turn to get some shots up. It's my turn for me to be the focus. When you have Harden and Bede and Harris, he probably feels like there's probably not enough balls to go around for him to get. But even when Harden in his initial press conference came in, he said, it is my job to make sure that Tobias Harris averages 20 points. You know? So it's – I'm so pumped up. I'm so thrilled. It's – you know, they have 22, 23 games to play to really work out the kinks and, and get ready and see if they can, you know, put a stamp on it. And I think there's, you know, there's not one team that you can be afraid of. I mean, the funny thing is this, man, to me, which is just drives me crazy, but eventually I think we're all going to have the last laugh. There's all these national people that acted like Brooklyn won this trade. Like, oh, you know, Brooklyn, Stephen A. Smith. Well, well, let me tell you something. This is going to be the end of Daryl Morey's career. Uh, uh, Brooklyn won the trade. You give up these. And it's like, okay, what if Ben Simmons never plays for you this year? You tell me who won the trade, okay? Yeah. Please. I Guess can't who's take not it playing with... March 10th? Yeah. Shocker. You know, tweaked I his back. Your, I loved your tweet the other day. Oh, yeah. Uh, somebody I mean, said there's a chance he wasn't playing. Oh, uh, it's, yeah. Exactly. I mean, and I, wanna... I, I don't know if I said it to you or said it on this podcast. But I said it's going to be the back injury. Yeah. Because if you remember the start of camp, yeah, when he wasn't showing up, it was a back injury. Because you can't prove injury, really, unless you're getting a scan on your discs, like to say you got a bulging disc or whatever. You can say back stiffness, back tightness, and nobody can do a damn thing about it. You're not limping necessarily, you know. Well, it's so funny, and that's my back hurts. Exactly. And that's when the Sixers, right? That's when the Sixers examine, you know, medical staff examine the back and say, nah, he's good to go. I don't know what he's talking about. Again, yeah. but you're right. It's one of those things. Like, they, they, let, let's put it this way. Okay. The and Nets there's no timetable. Oh, like, no. if you have a sprained yeah. knee, or yeah. sprained ankle, or broken finger, everyone right. in the world knows it's two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Uh, my back hurts is like so ambiguous. Well, and listen. Let's face the facts, okay? Bottom line is this, okay? We all know Ben Simmons and the Nets don't want that smoke on March 10th, all right? Because that place will be. Let me tell you something. He won't even be on the bench that night. He'll be staying back in Brooklyn for treatment. I personally could guarantee that and would love to wager money to say that he'll even make the road trip because I think we could all become thousand and but, yeah, he's not. He's not coming. If he's not playing, he's definitely nah, not coming to the the arena that night. No, 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 no. He he's no, no, not at all. But I, I can't wait to win. At some point, they're probably gonna have to face it. That is this. Here's the thing. I mean, the New Jersey Nets. You know, KD's still out. They thought he'd be back after the break. They're not even. He he's looking more like next week. And and, and you know, they're still you know they're working on the vac status with Kyrie playing at home. 
I mean, there, there's a strong chance they might not even make the playing game at the 10, you know, in the 10 seed. So, yeah. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, which would be then even, even more hilarious and, and just to not. But, you know, part of me is, like, I don't want to see – if we were to play in the playoffs, I wouldn't really necessarily want to see them in the first round. I would like to deal with them in the second, but at this point I don't think it matters. John Mita, did you see Jason McIntyre on Undisputed say that Embiid oh. and Harden aren't even a top five duo in the Eastern Conference right mm-hmm. now? Yes, I did see that. And my reply to that one was, this guy must be high, move along. <laughs> because I, I, I don't know how you can even make that statement. First of all, we have the best player in the world, okay? Not the NBA, in the world, which is also the NBA, as Danny Hampshire would like to say. But... Um, you're the best player in the world right now. I mean, and then, just, I, I'm not. And then gonna, you have a top like, ten player. Like he goes, he said, he actually said, Jimmy Butler and Bam, Bam's like Abadayo or what? Like, yeah. Giannis and Chris Middleton. Chris yeah. Middleton compared to James Harden. Bam I, compared to Embiid. Listen, really? Har- Har- Harden's better than any one of those guys you just named. Okay. <laughs> He's been an MVP in this league. What people forget is this guy, like, three or four years ago, averaged, like, 35, 36 points a game, which is when you average that many points, that means, like, some nights you're basically dropping 40, even if you have a down night. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's how difficult a a statistic that is to achieve for an entire season. Yeah, that guy's an idiot. You know, clearly, I don't know where he lives, maybe California. He smokes that good grass out there, but – and it was astonishing to me. I think it's the best duo in the NBA, to be perfectly honest. You know, you, you name a better duo. You know, could you say LeBron and Anthony Davis? Maybe. Maybe. Um, I, I, who else is out there? We're going through this in our head. I'm trying to think. Like, uh, Well, listen, if there's if we're talking. Oh, Craig, the- Chris Paul, Devin Booker? Eh, maybe. No. Nah. Nah. <laughs> I, 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 I almost look at it as like, okay. Well, the other thing is take how your du- no, no, hang on. Take your duo. Mm-hmm. If you put them on a court, who's winning to a game of 21, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and to me, like, yeah, Chris Paul and Devin Booker aren't getting four points. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just – it's not happening. Um, so, look, I want to pump the brakes on everybody going top ten duo of all time. But don't tell me they're not top five in the Eastern – conference of today's NBA don't even tell me you can maybe argue one other duo like I'll grant you Giannis because he's such a great player and whoever else you want on the box but don't give me anybody else don't even waste your breath that was yeah. just outlandish hot take nonsense. Too hot, uh, yeah yeah exactly so anyway um all right Johnny Mita if Jawan Howard took the five fingers and just raked them upside your head what are you doing if, if well, you if know. you're a two, if you're a five foot eight, uh, two hundred ten pound white guy named Greg Gard, what are you doing? No, nah, walk away. <laughs> nah. Yes. What'd you make of that? I know you want to talk about the yeah. The I mean, I University just of Michigan know, and Wisconsin yeah, right. uh, so, post game Yeah. So what for? Just a recap. It was a pretty big national story. You know, on the Brother Love podcast here, we like to cover some national issues when we find that it's necessary and fitting for the topic of conversation in this year's crazy clown world. But um, no, it's um, you know, basically what happened was, you know, Wisconsin was beating Michigan 
late. Wisconsin called a timeout because they had some subs in, but Michigan was still pressing. Juwan Howard set because he felt like Wisconsin was trying to rub it in. Their 14-point victory. By calling timeout. By calling timeout. Extending the game and talking strategy. But he kept pressing. Right. He's playing full-court defense in the final minute, down 14. Exactly. And so basically the rule is, you know, you have 10 seconds to get across over the line. If you call a timeout in the backcourt, then it resets the 10-second clock. So, essentially, they only had like three seconds to get it up across court. It would have been a violation. That's why they called the timeout. But anyway, so basically, coaches were hot. They go on the line. Juwan Howard has some words with Wisconsin's coach, Greg Gaw, and they, they go at him. You know, there's a point. Teams are getting fired up. The players are getting into it, assistant coaches. And then Juwan Howard, you know, kind of reaches over, puts his hand yeah, on an assistant coach. Pile of people. Those pile of people and makes contact. And, yeah. Right. Makes, which again is unnecessary. Listen, this is what needed to happen. Okay. You're upset with another coach, right? You shake hands. You got the shake hands. It's the sportsmanship line. Okay, if a team kicked your ass, they kicked your ass, you say, good game. We've all been a part of it, okay? We've done this since we've been seven, eight years old, or whenever you started playing team sports. It's just what you do. It's been an ongoing tradition for the eternity of life here, like, yep. of sports. Like, so, so what they should have done is Juwan Howard should have been like, listen, Greg, or, or have one of his communication people, one of his assistants, hey, can I just have a minute of your time after the game, after you get done talking to your team? I just want to address something to you. That'd be one way to handle it. Second way to handle B, just go into the press conference and then blast them. I mean, you yep. could have done that, right? Yeah. But, like, you know, I just didn't like the way he handled it. I pissed me off, you know? I'm sticking up for our kids, blah, blah, blah. Better way to handle it. But yep. the last thing you need to do, the last thing you need to do is put your hands on somebody else. And Juwan Howard said Greg Garb grabbed him and he started it. Listen, I get it. But be a little professional. No, Dude, at the, at the end of the day, John Mita, there were people between them. It could have just – it was boiling. It could have simmered right down. But when Jawan Howard reaches through five, six bodies with that yeah. pterodactyl reach of his right, and swipes the side of his head, it yeah. wasn't even like a slap. It wasn't a punch. It was like a face grab. It was like, get over here. I want to bring you closer for a beatdown. Like he tried to grip him up and well, bring right. him in. Right. So and, what? It, uh, right. And then so all hell broke loose. Right. So then, what? What is the message that that then later becomes portrayed to your players? Okay, coach is all in. He's fighting. Right. Now yeah. that now his his players think it's okay to start a fist brawl. Right. Then next thing you know, you got the mouse at the palace round two. Yeah. Now you got kids that are getting suspended. What if somebody gets injured? Then you'll have all the alumni all over your tails of, yeah. you know, this. If I, listen, I think they did the right thing by suspending them. You know, I think, you know, putting your hands on somebody else, like a punch like that, I mean, that's kind of a fireable offense to me. I don't yeah. care who, who you are, right? But, again, the climate that we're living in, a lot of people have pulled the race card on this. How come one coach got suspended? How come not? Blah, blah, blah. And then there goes in that. And then let me go with the real ridiculousness of the situation is Patrick Ewing comes out and makes a statement and says that we should do away with handshake lines. Okay. That is the most dumbest, stupidest thing that I've ever heard in my life. 
and, and it just sets the wrong examples in so many ways. In so many ways. We've all worked with people in our lifetimes that we couldn't really stand, right? Yep. There was a manager you had or an employee, a coworker. Man, I can't stand that person. I don't like that guy. I don't like the way he talks to me. But there's professional ways to handle it. And when you're a role model, when you're a coaching, when you're supposed to be an educator of children, that's the problem with today. If you say, okay, we don't have to shake hands, you're basically having no accountability for both players and coaches, right? And you just set a bad precedent. And now with confrontation, all the things that we deal with in our everyday lives, like you just got to just be better, right? Just be better. And Tom Izzo had the greatest response. He goes, I don't know who the hell you are. And this is why I look forward to the handshake lines because I'd like to give a kid that's played against me and my team for three years. And if he's a senior, I like to let him know that, hey, I'm so glad you're leaving. We don't have to play you anymore because you're a great player. And, you know, best of luck to you. And he really, if, if anybody has about or wants to look it up, but Tom Izzo's response to ending the handshake line is, is a, a, just a great piece of the way it should be or the way it should be in my mind. I mean, maybe some other people feel differently. I know some people might take the side of, uh, I mean, you are bullying, you lose a close game, but whatever. We also have to come to the grit. It's a game. It's a competitive game. You know, it's not like everybody's like shaking hands and exchanging numbers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, sometimes it's, you know, look at NBA games. It's friendly. Like, oh, I'll get, you know. So, but it's just one of those things that when I heard that and, yeah, you know, with the again, it's and and I hate to say it, and I, and I'm I'm just gonna flat out say it, whatever. I'm just gonna go for it. I don't care, but it's like like it's like a thing of like cancel culture. It's like all right, now we're gonna cancel the handshake line. Yep. Like why, why? It just makes no sense. Yeah, the punishment like, should have been stiffer. Uh, to be honest, five yeah. games, not given. Well, like, he should have been on. done for the right. year yeah. with and a then, full yeah. review on right. whether or not. This is something that coupled with other actions or other incidents or like, who knows what Jawan Howard's like behind the scenes, who knows how he treats people around campus and in their, uh, in their facilities. Like that maybe, maybe they go, well, this is strike three. You know, we don't know what they have on him or how he handles himself behind closed doors. Like they should have been like, you're done. And we're going to review your position as our head basketball coach internally and make a decision about your future. Um, because I'll tell you what, the next – look, when you get heated like that, when the wires cross or you start seeing red, whatever phrase you want to use to describe it, sure, you can make a mistake, okay? It happens. Yeah. Sometimes in life you don't get a second chance depending on that situation and the mistake you make. Sometimes you do get a second chance. Or in the case of Jawan Howard, you just get a little slap on the wrist essentially and you're mm-hmm. able to go about your business. Um yeah. But there's certain walks of life or certain scenarios where you oh. do that in the wrong environment, you are done. And well, like, and done. Case, case in point, there's a guy, Mike Missinelli. You know, he's on 97.5. Okay. He used to work for WIP. Now he comes out and states that, you know, that he shouldn't be fired and blah, blah, blah. He put his hands on somebody, but whatever. And I almost called him like, man, you are such a hypocrite because you punched out. You know, a, a producer of another program, and you ended up getting fired. So it's how you said that, you know, and you were essentially were fired. So it yep. was just hilarious to me. 
But uh, anyway. what else you got? I know we talked with you and I before we jumped on here on the sure. Brother Love podcast. Came well, around I, some other ideas. What else? Yeah. What else you want to get into? Well, I mean, this is a big week. Um, you know, as far as the scouting combine has, um, you know, basically every year where they they basically they throw in prospects and you get to see them work out. You really get to do. This is like the first. Well, one of the biggest parts of the draft process, because you get to see, you know, you get to interview kids like your top 30 prospects. Um, So you get to do that. You get to see these guys work out. You know, sometimes they make the big joke. They call it like the underwear Olympics and whatever and what have you. But do you um, watch John Mita? Will you be dialed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. And I'm I'm all about the 40s. You know, what's your favorite drill at the combine? Ah, Oh, man. I mean, I'll tell you, which was entertaining. That bench press was always fun when they had that crazy strength and conditioning coach from Arizona named Greg Lott that would just be chirping at the players to throw up that 225. They'll go up, up, up. So, now I would say that the 40-yard dash is is a great event. Um, um, I Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's the 40. I mean, and the vertical leap. I mean, Which event lots... would John Meade excel at the most? The interview process. That's all I got. <laughs> Athletically not there. But just to give you a breakdown, right? And we always talk about drafting SEC. I just want to give you the breakdown of the combine invitees by conference, Power 5. Yeah. SEC, 82 invitations. Big 10, 54. Pac-12, Howie and Jeff Lurie's favorite league, 36. Big 12, 35. ACC, 31. So, okay, that just tells you. So Let's basically, draft you SEC. take the Big Ten and the ACC together, it essentially yeah. totals the SEC. Right. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy, right? That is but, crazy. And then the other thing that could combine is also with coaches there as well, which takes place. This is when all the backdoor trade scenarios happen. Available. Well, I got this guy available. Well, what are you thinking? So the chatter is really going to build up. You know how he wants to make a splash. He's been talking about the Eagles need to, you know, basically they need to draft a starting quarterback, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so that's my thought. So I'll be watching it. I'll keep an eye on some players. You know, they have some risers. The next part of it goes, so basically it comes like this, right? The draft process, the way I broke it down. It's senior bowl, right? It's like the first event. Second event's the combine. And then the third event is the pro day. And that's where a lot of guys that don't want to participate in some combine drills would rather be on their home turf. They're working with their own coaches, playing better, and they kind of just want to reserve to that pro day. And then that's when you do all the homework and you talk to guys in more depth, and hopefully you make the right decisions. I mean, we can only hope. So there's a lot of defensive talent. Like I said before, Joe, if it's up to me, I'm drafting three studs on defense. We're keeping Jalen Hurts. I'm trading for signing a free agent wide receiver or making a trade for one, and, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. I love it, man. That, I, honestly, we're not always on the same page with the plan, you know, the outlook, how to get there. But that's the way I – you know, I don't I don't have faith that that's how it's going to play out. No, because they'll probably trade out. one pick. Right. It's Howie right. season. And yeah. In Howie we trust, not really. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I, I would put it in a 5% chance that they actually go and keep all three picks and pick all three on yeah. defense. And probably 
a 25% chance that they make three picks in the first round. Right. Now there's so I'd say 5% right... all defense, 25% they make three picks. I'd give it a 75% chance that they trade at least one of those picks right. either to move up, uh, to look to the future, or to acquire an asset. Yeah. I mean, here, here's, for me, there's two guys. There's two guys that I would – now, there's rumbling that the Jets want to move out of the top 10. They got two picks in the top 10, but that number 10 slot, they're willing to wheel and deal. It's our good friend Joe Douglas. If there's two guys that fall to that slot, I'm going up. I'd give up 14. You give them 14, you give them 15. And I might just go up because you know you have, like, a perennial all-pro. And the two guys I would move up for is my favorite cornerback, Ahmed Sauce Gardner. Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. If one, if they happen to fall to number ten, either one of those guys, yeah, I think I'm moving up. I'm taking the 15 pick and I'm going to move up. Or maybe you could you give up 14. Think you have to, yeah, 14 you think and you 19. Have to give up both. I don't know. Or you no, maybe not. Or what maybe you, 14 you know, in a second. I don't know. Yeah, or exactly. That's first. what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I mean, to move up only four spots doesn't seem like you need to give up two first rounders. That seems like a lot. It does, yeah. Or do you so, give up two first-rounders to get in the top five to go get the safety from Notre Dame or the top seven? Maybe you do that. I don't that, know. That, um, that I'm much more okay with. Yeah. I mean, that – I mean, I think he's difference maker. I mean, he, he reminds me Earl Thomas. I mean, he's a common – I think the kid's an absolute stud. So – and it'd be nice. To, I mean, we need playmakers on defense. You look at every single level. We need a, another playmaking corner. We sure as hell need a playmaking safety. And linebacker, for the love of God, can we just secure a linebacker in the first round? I mean, if we do, I will literally drop off Hope's Cookies at Howie's house if he drafts <laughs> a linebacker in the first round. I love so. the fact you use the term playmakers with an That's S. It. Because it can't just be one guy. And then, and they then, got to re- the defense has to be right at, you know, five times better than it was this year. Exactly. I mean, the positions- so that you don't have to play soft coverage, sure, because you're afraid to give up things over the top. So that you don't have to change your entire defense when one player goes down with injury, or if Brandon Graham's hurt. Now you can't get a goddamn sack the rest of the season. Like they need to have enough depth and talent that allows them to play any scenario any situation, any opponent, and be able to dictate things, right? That, you know, you loved them. So many Eagles fans loved them. I love Jim Johnson, you know, and, and Brian Dawkins talks about it. Seth Joyner talks about Buddy Ryan. Like, these guys, Ike Reese talks about yeah. them, Jim Johnson. Like, they, the Eagles defense for years had an identity, and they dictated things. I'd they say. went into a game, this is how we're playing, we're making the offense uncomfortable. We're making the offense adjust. Not yeah. we're going to sit back, keep everything in front of us, and pray to God they make a mistake. Well, that's it. And I think this is a draft. If you were to keep all three of these picks, I'm telling you, you can nab one of the top yep. two linebackers, Nicobe Dean. Brandon Ray, Didin- Ray Dinger yeah. says the same thing. Yeah. Keep all three and draft three defensive players. Now, he doesn't think it's going to happen just like you and I. But he said this draft is especially deep for defensive players, and it's yeah. the perfect time to take three players 
you could round out each level. You get a pass rusher, you get a linebacker, you get a secondary player, and they That's all grow it. and play together. That's it. Five years That's from it. now, the three of them could be the captains of your defense and go to the Pro Bowl That's if it. you get it right. If you get it right. And then you get a you get another veteran wide receiver, or you go you get two. You could trade a second round pick at a guy's third round pick like Calvin Ridley. Go sign Mike Williams in free agency. Now your offense is stacked. You can get another running back in the draft. Like there's a way to do this, and I, I just and, and the, the, the thing about this draft, it's real rich in cornerbacks. So like I think there is like. Yeah, if you get one of the top two guys, you're hitting a home run because now you got two really good lockdown type corners. Um, but there's good corners, there's decent safeties, there's you know two really good linemen. I mean, there's there's some there there is players to be had there. Yeah, and, and we I, we haven't even talked about a second round pick or a third round pick right. or your fourth round picks. Like, and the That's Eagles it. have had some success in some of those rounds. So like, right. And I, you know, so say they add, say they sign a receiver, okay? Whoever yeah. that is, you, that's going to happen. Okay? Mike Williams. Say Got they it. draft two Come defensive players. Yeah. Right. Now you've got in the first round. So you got two defensive players you're adding that you imagine are going to start for you. You're adding a receiver is going to start for you. You still have a third first round pick we haven't even talked about. Say they move it, whatever. Then you still have a second round pick, a third round. Like you could change the shape of your franchise in one day free agency day or two days day one of free agency and day one of the draft and you could change the way your team looks on paper and the prognosis and outlook of the team for the next three years that's it and if Jalen Hurts doesn't work out that's all right you've wasted one year and that that's and that's That's the one and that's the Okay, right? Everyone's like, oh, trade for Roger Wilson. Then you give up the thing. It's like, okay. But listen, if our defense still gives up 40 points, how good's Russell Wilson going to be? And if it takes another three years to build the type of talent to go on this defense, that's three more years of Russell Wilson's career when you're ready to win. And we've all seen it, right? This has kind of been an ongoing trend where veteran quarterbacks are unhappy with their situation. I, I honestly, the example that I go back to all the time is the example of the Denver Broncos, right? They built their teams. They put the skill players in position. Then they go out, they build their defense. They get the passers, the linemen, secondary. They have the team right away. What do they do? They get Peyton Manning. What does he do? You know, wins a Super Bowl, goes to two, you know, one out of two, but that's what they did. Yep. And I think that's the particular formula that's going to best fit this organization in order to become a contender. Because you could say, oh, like, look at the Rams. Like, the Rams had a ton of people in place before they got Matthew Stafford, you know? And then they keep going out, and then they get Odell Beckham, and then they get uh, Jalen Ray, and then they get Von Miller. Like, there were people in place, and then they sprinkled in. But they've also drafted some good talent within. Like, they haven't had first-round draft picks in, like, eight years, but – They've hit on other rounds, and that's why they've been successful. And so, they figured out their running back off the scrap heap. So exactly. Michelle and, right, right. You know, Daryl Henderson, Henderson was a draft pick. Yeah. Um, you know, Cam Akers was Cam a draft Akers pick, but not like a, a second. Round right. Pick. Right. Exactly. exactly. And that's the one position, like running back. There's just certain things. And, 
and and we have salary cap. So I think this is just because by like listen, Aaron Rodgers has just recently come out and said like he wants to be paid fifty million dollars. That's great and all, okay? Fantastic quarterback, I get it. But if he makes fifty million dollars on your salary cap, and the salary cap two hundred twenty-five million dollars this year, let's just say, that means fifty-two other scripted players you got to fit within two hundred. You know, the yeah. pot's not that great for everyone else. Yeah. So, and we're still dealing with. It's not like Jalen Hurts is on a first-round draft pick contract. He's still on a second-round draft pick contract, which is much less. Yep. So. And then you give him a year, right? You see what happens. And then if he wants to talk about contract, then you can franchise him for a year. There's options out there. But I just really, you know, this is a huge debate in this city right now. It's like, oh, go get Deshaun Watson. Go get Aaron Rodgers. Oh, go get Russell Wilson. Go get this. Go get that. And I'm like, this team's not ready to win. Yeah, we made the playoffs. But if there is so many holes, deficient, specifically our defense. Everyone's like, oh, look at the second half of the year. Look at the quarterbacks that we're playing. They're playing straight garbage, like USFL quarterbacks. Seriously. Anyway. If you can move the number 15 overall, Mm -hmm. a third-round pick this year, Mm -hmm. and Jalen Hurts for Kyler Murray, are you doing it? (sighs) I I don't think I am, man. I I just – here's why. Listen, do I? I don't love even it? know if that would get it done. Obviously, I'm yeah. sure Arizona would ask for more than that. But sure. Um, again, he wants to get paid. Okay, so he's going to be in that same type of forty-five, you know, forty to fifty million dollar conversation. Right. Um, there was talks that he didn't want to go back in the playoff game. I get it. He's I'm not a fan of Cliff Kingsbury. I don't. We all know why Cliff Kingsbury has a job, but. I just and it's from what I understand too. It doesn't seem like he's that great of a teammate. So, I so I'd be very hesitant. He's still a smaller guy. He dealt with some injury issues this year. Not like Jalen Hurts got dinged up a little bit this year. The style of their quarterback play, but I, I think I'm passing on Kyler Murray. I mean, again, I mean, I like Russell Wilson. I think that's great, but we just. If you're telling me I could give up one first-round pick or, or maybe another one, a future next year, and something else, okay. But you got to get at least two defensive studs in this draft, bar none. I don't care how you do it. They're, they're, the talent's there. If you could give me two defensive studs from the draft and Russell Wilson, then maybe we can have the conversation. But yep. that's just how I feel. Our brother, great stuff as always. Good catch. Oh, yeah, breaking again. news. Here we go. We just got some breaking news. Looks like uh, the baseball. They had a 5 o'clock deadline today. Players rejected the last proposal. Weird. Uh, who cares? <laughs> June 1 is the date I think we'll see the start of the Major League Baseball season. It's just, you know. I, spring training, May, abbreviated spring training, like May 10th, May 15th. They'll yeah. get together for a couple weeks, play a couple games. June 1, Citizens Bank Park, opening weekend. It's just like, I just don't understand. You got billionaires and millionaires. And it's like, you knew all these problems were happening. And to lock them out, like, get your proposals ready. It's got to be a give and take. But, like, it's just, listen. Listen how they lost people. It's every year with baseball. Every year. Even when, remember when they played the other shortage, the pandemic season. Yeah, when you did the, the... Deal just to get through the last year or two, 
how are you not ready for this? To your point, how exactly. are you not ready that when they when they handed out the goddamn World Series at the end of this year, uh, who was it? The Braves. The the next day, baseball should have announced uh, we got a deal in place. That's it's the way it. to do it. And that and that commissioner. I mean, the commissioners in all of our sports leagues are. I mean, I, I don't get it. They're just bozos. But Manfred looks like. I mean, he's up there with like biggest idiots, you know? Well, another commissioner whose resume will be marred by multiple work stoppages. Exactly. And the other thing is this, Joe. Like, my whole thing is this. Like, they knew the game was dying before. You remember, it literally took the home run cut. When they locked out for the entire whatever year, it literally took them to juice the baseball in the home run contest to bring people back to the game. Because yep. people weren't showing up at the ballparks. I mean, they were like 40 50% capacity because people were just sick of the bullshit, you know? Excuse my yeah. language. Uh-oh. No, I mean, listen, there's a <laughs> lot of – there's attendance issues in every sport. Exactly. Except for the NFL, and, and even they aren't – you see a lot of tickets being sold in the secondary market to other teams' fans, right? Like Correct. So they're putting butts in the seats, but it's like an event. It's I'm going to travel to St. Louis. Uh, well, bad example. They moved, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like I, we're going to go Sorry. to Miami because the Eagles are playing the Dolphins. I'm going to make a weekend out of it. And there's 10,000 tickets that are otherwise going to be empty. Uh, uh, so. Absolutely. All right, Johnny, made a good stuff, brother. Uh, All right, buddy. Well, hey, here, here's good news. Joey's coming in town to play these insufferable flyers, so we're going to be able to catch up. And Joe's going to call his first game as the official radio voice of the Minnesota Wild against the Philadelphia Flyers. So looking forward to that, my friend, and catching up for a little Sixers tomorrow night. Yeah, man. I will say this. It's been a couple days ago I fired up the laptop and started to uh, get a jump. You know, I build a little sheet for each team, a little spreadsheet. And Dang. obviously the Wild haven't played the Flyers yet, so I had to start from scratch. And it was kind of surreal to be like, you know, typing in some of these names, Giroux and Yeah. You know what uh, I mean? Provorov and Farabee. Like Absolutely. It won't be, be a hard game to call because I'll have a names and numbers will be easy that night. Exactly. So but it's it's gonna be to fun. It. It's gonna be fun, man. Keep up the great work. Um, right, Thanks, brother. everybody, Godspeed. for listening. And, uh, you know, t- Sixers, baby. Back to broad we process. go. Holla. Co- coaches, keep it classy. Thanks for listening. Brother Love Podcast for John Mita, Joel Donald. Till next time, we'll see.